Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. My name is Rick Thompson. I want to welcome those who have joined us here today, and I want to welcome those who have joined us online. Um, I want you to I want to go ahead and ask you to like and to share this message uh, and subscribe to our channel. Again, happy Father's Day. Uh, we are in the con- exciting conclusion of our message that we've entitled Say What? You got to say it right. You got to say it right. That we have entitled Say What? That's exactly right. And, and, and where we've been kind of chasing down what the Bible actually says versus what, it, versus what it doesn't say. And if it's not in the Bible, where can we find it? We just heard from the video that God helps those who help themselves. That's an example of what's kind of not there, especially as it relates to our salvation. This is what Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says. Read it out loud with me. One, two, three, go. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for sinners. What does helpless mean? Means you can't help yourself. When you were helpless, that's when Jesus showed up. When you were going down for the count and drowning, that's when the life preserver went out. Come on, somebody. Yeah. And, and that's when, so, so God helps those who help themselves kind of flies in the face of those scriptures like that. The Bible talks about true religion is taking care of orphans and widows in their time of need. Why? Because they're the most vulnerable among us. Can we agree with that? Right? As it relates to orphans and, 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 and widows and our brothers and our sisters in need, God expects us to be his hands and his feet to help them as, as, a, as a needed. Does that make sense? Amen? So in that way, God helps those who cannot help themselves. But how does he do it? Turn to your neighbor and say, through you. Through, you. through me too. Right? That's why we support missions. That's why we go on missions. Two years ago, I went to India, and we had a fantastic time. Over 1,000 people gave the, close to 1,000 people surrendered their lives to, to Christ. We still support the missions over there. A church sprung up. A Living Waters Church, believe it or not. Yes. And we partner with Pastor Martin and his ministry. And so we continue. It's part of, of what you give to, uh, give to the church goes over there. We, we help them as well. How many know India is having a hard time? India is being hit by this COVID. A lot of pastors have gone home to be with the Lord. But the work continues. Amen? In face, in, face, in spite of all this stuff, we, we sponsor children around the world, Compassion International. My own family are involved with foster care, as many of you guys are as well. Some of you guys are as well. How many know that's truly God's work? Amen? So God helps those who cannot help themselves. During this series, we've heard it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the, it's the love of money. We touched on that age-old lie that some things cannot be forgiven, i.e. the unpardonable sin. But we looked at exactly what we believe the Bible says is the unpardonable sin. And we determined that while you still have breath in your lungs, someone take a deep breath, take another one, take your pulse. While you've got breath in your lungs and you still got a pulse, listen to me, you still have time to repent and turn your heart over to Christ. So you don't qualify for the impossible sin. Amen? Amen. So, so calm down. <laughs> Pastor Rick, I committed impossible sin. Are you still with us? 
If you've done something that bad, repent. <laughs> Ask God to forgive you. And guess what he does? My Bible says if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to beat me over the head. No, to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Come on, somebody. Somebody's reading the Bible. Because we believe the impossible sin is to reject Jesus or to reject the witness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit to the day you die. That's what a forgiving God finds totally unforgivable, to reject Jesus, to reject the life preserver that he throws out there, to act like he doesn't exist in your life. The Bible talks about it's like trampling underfoot the blood of sacrifice. Keep treating it as something common. Pastor Steve, he, he tackled the question, bad things, you know, basically why bad things, do bad things happen to good people? And yes, bad things happen to good people. Does your Bible say God causes it to rain on the just as well as the unjust? That's what my Bible says. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because he has overcome this world. We're on the winning team. I'm going to say it again. We're on the winning team. Amen. And at least last week we learned that not all roads lead to heaven, right? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, we're going to circle back to that on the way, the truth, and the life. But I want to just publicly thank Pastor Steve and thank Pastor Sean for some great messages. Amen? This morning, we tackle that final say what statement. We see it all over the place. We hear it everywhere. It's the mantra of this generation. It's what's behind that statement a few years ago, YOLO. Anyone heard that statement, YOLO? What does that mean? You only live once. Or what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Kind of encouraging you to live for the here and now regardless of the consequences. The statement that I'm talking about is the one, unto thine own self be true or above all else, unto thine own self, be true. I've seen it in magazines, TV, billboards, buses. People have it plastered all over their bodies. No condemnation if that's you, covering up your tattoo right now. There's grace in the kingdom, amen? But here are a few pictures. They, they, they got it on their stomachs. They put it on their arms. They put it on their shoulders. They've got it on their necks. They've got it on their backs. The question is, it sounds good, but is it biblical? And I'm, I'm going to have to explain the difference between biblical and apparent good advice that God, than, than God advice. There's good advice that people think is good advice, and then there's God advice, right? And just because it's in the Bible, or the, uh, Pastor Sean mentioned that, uh, last week, or was it two weeks ago, just because it's in the Bible or the concept is in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that's from God. This is one of those where you can say, yeah, you can see the concept in the Bible, but its origins, you'll be surprised, may not necessarily be God. The origin or the exact quote doesn't come from the Bible at all, though. <laughs> Who knows where it comes from? Who said it? I heard someone say it. Say it again. Say it out loud. You, you said it. Shakespeare. 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 I, I mentioned it to my daughter. She, she, right away, she got it. She's one of those people that sit down and you know, listen to all this stuff. Uh, plays and all this other stuff, my younger daughter. Shakespeare, it's a Shakespeare Hamlet. It's spoken by King Claudius, chief minister. Polynesius is part of a speech where he gives, where he's given to his son his blessing and advice on how to behave while he's at university. So when you go off to school, 
This is what I want you to do. Above all else, unto thine own self, be true. Sounds like good advice on its face. Don't lie to yourself. Don't be let off. Live out your own truth. Don't live out other people's truth. But unfortunately, it does something. It, 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 puts, it puts you at the center of your decision-making. It puts you at the center of your universe, and that's where we mostly kind of get in trouble. When we become the, the be-all and the end-all of the decisions of our lives, everyone living out their own truths, everyone doing what's right and best in their own eyes, then we're going to run into problems. Jesus said it this way again. He says, I am the way. That means the way, not a way, not one way of many ways. Does that make sense? He says, I am the way. But he also says, I am the truth. Come on, somebody. Not just a truth or one of many truths, all right? And he says, I'm the life. So, so if you are living out a life, listen to me, those who are listening online, maybe you're listening on a later date. But if you're living out your life and you're managed to live out your life apart from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life, where Jesus is the old hum and maybe a, a, a minor mention, you're not living out truth in your life. You are not working, uh, walking in the truth that God expects for you if you, can, if you can ignore Jesus. Now, that little breakdown started all the way back in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, you might be surprised to hear, where man starts to separate himself from the truths or the expectations of the Father. We see in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, and God has created the earth and he created man and he put man in the garden and he gave Adam this command. Genesis 2.16, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will, what does it say? You will certainly die. And so the man went along and he gave names to the animals, the Bible says, and, 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 and he couldn't find a suitable helpmate for himself. And so God put him to sleep and from his side he took a, a, a rib and, and from that rib he created uh, uh, Eve from that rib. And, and, they, and, and, and now there was a suitable helpmate for Adam. And they were content and they were happy until the Bible says the serpent showed up in the garden with a brand new philosophy, a brand new way of thinking. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the tree, from the, from the trees in the garden. But, the, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. And so apparently the information made it to Eve. Because God gave that command to Adam before Eve was created, but Adam passed it down to Eve because now Eve is quoting him. But here comes good old Satan, verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. In other words, God's a liar. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing God and knowing good and evil. God is trying to keep something from you. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the, to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord 
God, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. <laughs> and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what, what is it you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So right away, we can see what I call the results of everyone being kind of true to themselves. I call it the blame game. Starts with Satan, but it doesn't end there. Satan accuses God of lying of his, uh, to his children, and, and so they succumb to his deception. Then they feel shame for the first time, and they try to hide from God. Note to self, you can't hide from God. You can't hide from God. He's, uh, he's everywhere. <laughs> so stop trying. And when God called to account, when God called Adam to account, what does Adam do? The reason it happened was the woman you gave me. He blames the woman and he blames God. It's your fault. Then he turns to the woman, what happened? And the woman turns and he blames, she blames the devil. Folks, again, that's my experience with this philosophy. And invariably the result of the spirit of what I call the unto thine own self be true. You see, all these cast of characters are doing their own thing. And they believe in their own truth. And the end result was the blame game. The end result was division. The end result was sin had come into the world. And in some cases, chaos. It's what John tried to warn us about in the, book, in the New Testament. In 1 John 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and then he describes it, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. Here's the solution. But whoever does the will of God does what? But whoever does the will of God does what? Lives forever. Sometimes I like to read it in a different version so you kind of get the idea of what it's actually saying on its meaning. Let's look at the New Living Translation because they call it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is what it says in the New Living. It says, do not love this world nor the things in it, the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Anybody see that going on? Come on, somebody. A craving for everything we see, I got to have it, and a pride in our achievements and our possessions. Someone say pride. pride. The Bible goes on to say, these are not from the Father, but from, this, from the world. This world is fading away along with everything that the people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Anyone interested in pleasing God? Anyone interested in living forever? Come on. In other words, that's the spirit behind unto thine own self be true. It's the spirit of the world. It was ushered in not by God, but by Satan. We see it as early as in the garden, and it was preceded Shakespeare. Ready from the very beginning, we see the spirit start to operate. And again, the end result was eventually a fallen world. It's a, 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 a separation. It's the pointing of the fingers. It's the living and doing for themselves because they're now 
operating in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what's become a priority in their lives. The Apostle Paul describes it in the last days. He says to young Pastor Timothy, he said, this is, what's gonna, this is what your world is going to look like in the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They will be puffed up with what? Puffed up with what? Puffed up with pride. Didn't they just declare this pride month? Is it my imagination? Things that make you go, say what? Say, hmm. And this next verse, and love pleasure rather than God. Oh, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. What's the power that can make them godly? The, the, spirit, of the God, spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. The, that spirit that could break those bondages of sin off their lives. They will walk around in pride. They will have parades. It's going to be in your face. They're going to teach it to your children. They are teaching it to your children. It's getting quiet in here. Scripture says stay away from people like that. So what does the Bible actually teach? Does the Bible actually teach unto thine own self be true? No. Let me tell you what it does say. It says unto the Lord be true. That's your first fill-in. Unto the Lord be true. Not so subtle difference. Actually a world apart. One, you're serving sin and self. And the other, you're serving the Son of God. Turn to someone and say, serve the Son. Come on, somebody. We need to serve the Son. If they'd stuck with that from the very beginning, if they stuck with listening to God from the very beginning, the whole world of hurt would have been avoided. Again, let me remind you of what 1 John says, 2.17, and this world is fading away along with the cravings that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So we're not to be looking for our own interests. We're supposed to be looking out for what pleases God. Does that make sense? And this affects every area of our lives. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul gives instructions to husbands and wives, <laughs> instructions that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, giving thanks always for all things. What does it say? Giving thanks always for all things. Does that include everything? That pretty much includes everything, but give it unto who? Unto your, thine self. Does it say thine self? No, you do it unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. He is the one that takes us to the Father. So you give thanks through Christ to God. It goes on the same verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another. What in the fear of, help me someone, in the fear of God. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, help me against someone, as unto 
as unto the Lord. Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So it gives us a template. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for the church. He loved the church to death. He's willing to lay down his life. That's your template, husband. But the wives, it says, submit as unto the Lord. That he might, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. So the idea isn't that we live unto ourselves. The idea is that we live unto the Lord and that our behavior be reflective of the heart of God toward this world and especially toward each other. Does that make sense? In other words, your response, wives, to your husbands should be the same as if you were responding to the Lord. It's getting quiet in here. Don't, don't, don't tune me out. Don't leave. And vice versa. So if you wouldn't cuss out the Lord, you shouldn't cuss out your husband or your wife. I did get an amen. I'm just saying it's getting quiet in here. Because it says, as unto the Lord, right? If you wouldn't give Jesus the silent treatment, you shouldn't do it to your spouse. That's what it means, as unto the Lord. Just let me know if I'm taking this out of context. If you're not, if you're, if, if the thought of abusing Jesus at all would never enter your mind, then it shouldn't enter your mind for doing it to your spouse. The Bible says, unto the Lord be true. Not thyself. Unto thyself, you've got a whole bunch of people living unto thyselves, themselves. Secondly, the Bible teaches to be selfless, not selfish. Write that down. Since we are on husbands and wives, let's stay there for a second. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, says, Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his, help me out somebody, his own baby mama, his own friends with benefits. Come on, somebody, help me. What, what does it say? Does it use the term wife? Okay. And each woman should have her own sugar daddy. <laughs> what does it say? Her own husband. Each man should have his own wife because of what's going on in this world today. And each man or each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Then it says, do not deprive each other 
of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves completely, more completely to prayer. Someone's saying, that's not in the Bible, Pastor Rick. You're making this up. I said, no, I'm not. I gave you chapter and verse. When you get home, read it. Afterwards, it says you should come together again so that, here we go again, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This doesn't sound like unto thine own self be true to me. And note the word self-control or lack of self-control. We're going to circle back to it. But understand what it's saying. It's saying that God has not called us to be selfish, but to be selfless as it relates to our relationship with each other, especially to our husbands and our wives in the area of intimacy. It's calling us to be generous toward each other. In fact, it says that your body is not your own. Don't shoot the messenger. Your body is not your own. Husbands, your body belongs to you, but it also belongs to your wife. And to the wives, it says the same thing. Your body not, not only belongs to you, but it belongs to your husbands. Except, it says, for mutual consent for a period of prayer. The Bible says, don't withhold from each other. And I can already see somebody's mind going for someone saying, oh, I just gave somebody another excuse to withhold. We're having a prayer meeting. And it's going to be an all-week prayer meeting, all-month prayer meeting. Come on, somebody. If that's the way your mind goes, you're missing the point. That's not the idea of mutual consent. Mutual consent means you both agree so that Satan doesn't come in and cause problems in your marriage. Do you believe that Satan wants to cause problems in your marriage? Do you believe that a house divided cannot stand? That's what the Bible is teaching. And Satan, is, from the very beginning, is trying to sow division into your family, into, into your marriage. So again, it flies in the face of above all else unto thine own self be true. The Bible doesn't, doesn't teach that. It doesn't teach selfishness. It says be selfless, especially in these areas. And then the last thing it says we need to be, the Bible teaches self-control and not self-indulgent. Indulgence. That was the last statement because it says afterwards you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In a nutshell, it's never been about the big three. You know what the big three is? That's it. Me, myself, and I. It's never been about that. When, when, when life is all about my decisions and, my, and what I want, when I want it, when, when, when life revolves around me, that's when we run into the problems that we see, and that's when the blame games come because, because I'm the center of my universe, and the moment you offend me, that's, that's going to be a problem. And I'm not going to accept responsibility. I'm going to do what Adam does. It was the woman you gave me, God. It wasn't my knucklehead self. Where was Adam when Eve was talking to Satan? Help me. Was he, like, off working the field somewhere? Like, like, was he, like... Where was he? The Bible says she took it. Satan convinced her. He, she saw that it was good and it was, you know, it looked really good. She took it and then she handed it to her husband who was right there. He's playing the blame game. He could have said, no. God said. 
He could have done the right thing, but he didn't. But that's where we end up when we're in the me, myself, and I. That's why divorce rates are so high, even in the church. That's why there's marital unfaithfulness and divisions. Jesus says, a house divided cannot stand, and if everyone's about the unto thine own self, be true. If they got it tattooed on every aspect of their bodies and in their minds, and, in, and it's their mantra of the day, if it's about me, then you're not going to stay together very long. And that's just sad. The solution is not to live unto thine own self, but to live unto the Lord, a selfless, self-controlled life with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Wherever you are or whatever your station is, whether you're married or single or single again, whether you're a youth or a young adult or married again, the solution is always the same. It's not unto thine own self be true. It's unto the Lord be true. You live your life unto the Lord, not selfish but selfless, not self-indulgent, but practicing self-control. And Jesus is the picture of self-control. In Philippians 2.1, this, this is what the scripture says. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate that make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish, but try to impress, and don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Listen, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of, help me out somebody, Jesus. at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is our example of humility, of selflessness, of self-control. He did not teach unto thine own self be true. He taught unto God be true. He taught seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The question this morning is, for those who are here and those who are listening online, are you ready to make that kind of commitment to the Father? To tattoo that not, not, not on your body necessarily, but to tattoo it on the conclaves of your heart. Amen? Lord, I want to be true to you. I want to live out my life. I want that to be a mantra that, that you are first in my life and not me or the big, the big three, me, myself, and I. Because when I get into that, when I get into that mode, divisions are going to happen. The blame games are going to take place because you... They're not meeting my needs, and you're not meeting my needs, and all this other stuff going on. I need to get to that place where I look at Jesus as the example who humbled himself. And because he humbled himself, he didn't, he didn't think it, you know, holding on to, 
to, to his godhood. He emptied himself and he became like a slave and he humbled himself and he died a death on the cross. And because of that, the Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, for me, I'm not going to wait to the end to bow my knees to the Father. I humble myself on a daily basis to the King of kings and the Lord of lords because I know that there is no other name under heaven by which we might be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. If you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And if not today, when? If you've not yet accepted him as your Savior and your Lord, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and create an altar right where you are with the Lord and say something like this from your heart. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my need for a Savior. I admit that I've screwed up on more than one occasion. I ask you to forgive me I repent of any philosophy that's not of you, especially unto thine own self be true. Father, you said to seek first the kingdom and, and your righteousness and all these things will be added. Today, I humble my heart before you. I seek ye first the kingdom. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a brand new cre creation in you. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.